0: That, that last song uh, my, my uncle sang that a lot of times and I, I love that song that I can I can still sing the words and you don't want to hear me sing the words but I can I can still sing the words uh, so I just wanted to thank everybody for inviting me here uh, my name is Seth Graham if if I haven't met you yet um, a lot of people around here I, I, a lot of times I start out introducing myself with my dad just because A lot of people know my dad, so my dad uh, lived here several years ago. He was a state trooper and he covered Tensaw and Franklin Parish. His name was George Allen. Um, He's still doing good and everything. But uh, I start out introducing myself with him a lot of times just because a lot of people know him, you know. But I'm I'm excited to be here today and uh, just thankful. So just really quickly on me, I I I grew up in Gilbert. I moved to Ruston, went to school, stuck there for about 20 years and uh, and for some reason moved back to Gilbert uh, a few years ago. Uh, so my wife and I are both from there and we love it there. God has uh, God has just moved in my life in so many ways I'm so thankful for uh, just the privilege of being useful to God sometimes. So um, it, it's been great. So one thing I will say, uh, I'm, I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist in Gilbert, and I just wanted to mention this: we have an addiction recovery ministry there. Uh, if 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 you have somebody, um, and it's just for men, but if you have somebody that that needs that, I'll be glad to to tell you about it. Just get in touch with me, and I'll and I'll um I'll let you know whatever you need to know. But our our church kind of partners up with that ministry, um, and uh, just just grateful to see God work in that as well. So. Um, I'll, I'll be glad to talk with you if you if you if you need something on that. But uh, as I came today, and I wanted to, I wanted to be upfront about this, I, I was studying for a sermon this morning, and and it it was a feel good like it was it was on God's promises, and that's the one that you want to go visit somewhere and share, and that's not what God led me to to preach about today. So um, this one today is uncomfortable for me. Uh, it steps on my toes. Um, but, it, but it's, uh, it's biblical. It's, it's, what, uh, it's what I'm supposed to be speaking about today. So um, we're going to be talking about today what God looks for in his people. Um, so there was this one time there was a teacher that asked her students, uh, if I sold my house and my car and uh, had a big garage sale and I gave all the money to the church, would I get into heaven? And the class said no. And it kind of surprised her, you know, and she said well, if I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, kept everything neat and tidy when I get into heaven. And the class said no. And she's like, well, wait a second. She said, well, how can I get into heaven? And they said, well, you're not dead. you got to be dead first, you know. Good point. Hopefully that doesn't affect any of us today like that. But um, but what does God expect of us? What does he look for in his people? Um so when I start thinking about that, I start thinking about religion, okay? A lot of us hear that word, and maybe when we think of religion, we think of, uh, you know, like maybe different things across the world, different, you know, different people have different religions and different beliefs and all that. But what really is religion? So I looked this up. This is the Webster Dictionary. Uh, there, there, there were two, uh, two definitions. Uh, the service and worship of God are the supernatural, and then commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. Um, so if we think about that, what is our commitment and devotion? Does it matter? Uh, there's there's a, a pretty famous pastor out in California named Rick Warren. And this is the way he defined religion. Man's best attempt to get to God. So that kind of hits home with me. You I, Like the, the the Webster Dictionary, I I, I hear it, but... But that kind of that hits home with me. Man's attempt to get to God. That's what religion is, you know, realistically in our life. So, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 18. Um, we'll be starting, it's verses 9 through 14, and I'll jump around a little bit today, but uh, I'll start out in Luke, uh, Luke 18, starting in verse 9. And I'm reading out of the New King James, so it may be a little different than than what's on the screen. This is a parable um, that that Jesus taught with. You know, Jesus used these parables, and I'm so glad he did, because now we can, you know, it it still makes sense to us, and we can still understand it, but based on what he said 2,000 years ago, you know. So, in Luke 18, starting in verse 9... Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And let's pray. Father, thank you for today, just for the chance to be here, for the for the chance to come into your house and study your word and learn how we can live our lives more like you would have us to live them, Lord. Help us to, as a church, as a, as a body of believers, Lord, help us to to be useful in your kingdom, to to spend our lives trying to, to do what would make you happy and please you, Lord. Help us to look at your law and look at your statutes that you have here and accept them, Lord. Accept them that you know better than us, and we're here to worship and please you, Lord. Forgive us of all our sins, in Jesus' name, amen. So, it's important when we look at this parable, it's important to look at the target audience. So, Jesus didn't kind of just go, you know, willy-nilly talk. He he was very specific in who he met with and why and what he was saying and the, the things that he was getting across, right? So, in this particular instance, he, he's talking to Jewish leaders. So, he's he's ministering to Jewish people, but specifically in this parable, he was talking to Jewish leaders. So, We can look at that now, and we can look at those Jewish leaders, and and we may even point at them and say, boy, I'd never do that or whatever, but if you think about it, this passage, what he was sharing back then, where it would translate today would be us church people, right? So the people that are here is probably who this speaks to, myself included, you know, the, the good upstanding people, the never miss a Sunday, the don't, doesn't use bad language, you know, those kind of people. Keep, keeps your yard nice, that kind of thing. That, that's, that's who he's sharing this with. Um, and that starts, immediately when I think about that, that starts scaring, scaring me. It worries me, you know. So let's just kind of go slowly. Let's go back to, to verse 9 and just kind of go slowly. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So this word righteous comes up a lot. And, you know, I had always heard this as kind of right standing before God. That was kind of the way that I would heard it. Uh, if you look in Webster, free from guilt or sin. So either way, you know, when you kind of look at that, we kind of see what righteousness is, right? So if you go back, religion was our best attempt to get to God, right? And then that comes through righteousness, which is being free from guilt or sin. So we can kind of start, like, he's laying this out, and we can kind of start to see that there's a gap between what God requires of us and where we are. And we can look at that and say, well, that's Adam and Eve's fault. No. I mean, we, we, we live our own lives and have our own choices and have our own free will to choose the things that we do, so we're kind of responsible for ourselves, right? Um. This is something that took me a long time to kind of realize, but we as people were created to worship something. Okay, so you may not feel that way, and and especially maybe people that aren't in church, they may not feel that way. Maybe they may think, well, I don't go to church, and I don't. They're worshiping something, you know. So you've got other religions in other parts of the world, and they'll religion, you know, they'll they'll worship Buddha, or they'll you know. Muhammad, all the things that they work, they're worshiping something. The people in the United States that don't go to church and they don't believe in those things, they're still worshiping something. They're spending all their time and all their money for something. It may not be God, but it's something, right? But that's what we created for. All these other religions, they have, and I wrote this down, but it's its the merit system, Okay. So it has a, well, well, what can you do for me? If you can do a certain thing or a certain amount or whatever, then you'll get there, right? Um, you have to work to get there in other religions. That should scare us because, what, you know, what if you don't do enough work? How do you know if you do enough work? You know, is there, a, is there a meter that you go by and you know where you've worked up to a certain way? That should scare a lot of people if, you know, I don't trust myself to do good enough to work my way to anything, really, Right? Um, but we're taught from a young age, uh, hopefully, you know, I see kind of a younger group over here, hopefully we're taught from a young age that, that you have to, anything you really want, you have to work for. Uh, I've got three kids ranging from 11 to 21, um, and, you know, sometimes I don't know that they feel like they have to work to get something, spe- you know, younger, younger guys these days, you know, sometimes they just kind of give, given it to them, you know, but a lot of times in our culture, we're, We're taught that we have to work for whatever we get, right? But that's not the case with God. That's not biblical, right? If he's the creator, if he created us, why would he create us to work our way back to him? That really doesn't make any sense, right? So I would say the second thing here, what good are our good works. So let's go back to these verses again. Let's start in chapter in uh, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. So it, on, on this particularly, it's important to look at who these people are. So Jesus used this example with these particular people for a reason. So he's talking to a certain group, but he's also using certain examples, right? So this first guy was a Pharisee. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we think about this word Pharisee and, you know, depending on where you hear about it or what culture you're in, you may think different things about the word Pharisee. But, you know, back then these people looked at Pharisees these were the people that from a very young age devoted their life to Christ. They devoted themselves to studying the Word and everything. And so when they just walked around town, people would look at them and and they would think in themselves that they're righteous. They've got it together. Those are the ones that we need to be looking at and kind of as an example of how we should be, you know. Um, And that started from a very young age. They they went through their whole lives and people kind of looked at them a certain way. but the problem with Pharisees is, you know, in the Old Testament, God gave them these laws. And, and it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. God spelled out a lot of laws for them. And you look at those laws now, and you're like, well, there, there, there was a lot of things for them to go through. Part of them, part of those laws were hygiene. I mean, part of those laws taught them how to, to live a life where they weren't getting sick all the time. But part of those laws, God was doing because he wanted them to follow him. He wanted them to choose him by obeying what he had said, you know. Um, So the problem with the Pharisees is as time went on, they wanted to be even more godly than the people around them. And so they would start adding a little bit of laws to these other laws. So these laws that God had put out that were perfectly fine because God gave them, they would start adding to that to make themselves even more righteous than the other righteous people around them. And it really took away from what God had in mind the whole time, right? This guy's prayer, if you look back at it, he he wasn't praying to God. Look at what he said. He wasn't praying to God. He was praying to himself. He was praying to himself, and he wanted the people around him to hear it, right? And even says when he prayed thus with himself, himself, that was the real audience. He liked his righteousness. He liked the way he felt being around other people and and, and how it made him look, Right? So I got a question, and I, I thought about this. I think a lot of times we can get in the in the habit of, of trying to be more righteous than the people around us, trying to look around and kind of put ourselves on a pedestal. Do we really believe that the creator of the universe is impressed with what we can do? He's the creator of the universe. And so, you know, we... <laughs> We, we learned from a very young age God made everything. Yes. God is the... He spoke the world into existence. He's sp- like all the... You know, where we live, the things we drive, the... You know, who we are, our personality, uh, how we're... What we look like, everything. He's responsible for all that. Why would he be impressed with what we can do, right? He doesn't need us to do anything. That's a very humbling thought. God... Wants to use us. He loves us. He cares about us. But he doesn't need us for anything. He can get whatever he wants accomplished, whether we're there or not. But he wants us. So if you look in Isaiah, and I, I didn't even give this verse, but in Isaiah 64, 6, what we have to offer God is like filthy rags. It's not good enough. Whatever you think that you can do, whatever I think that I can do, whatever I have to offer God is not good enough it's like filthy rags right but this law that we looked at uh, and as a matter of fact let's we'll look at Romans 3:19 and 20 and Romans 3 if you if you want a good chapter to go to Romans 3 is a good one there's a lot of there's a lot of memory verses in Romans 3 but um Romans 3:19 and 20 now we know that whatever the law says it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. so you heard what it said there. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. We can't be justified in his sight by what we can do. The law shows us how short of God's standard we are. The main purpose of the law is to let us see that we need saving because we can't truly keep the law. I, I heard, um, I've seen this on the on the internet. Some um, it was it was Kurt Cameron and another guy. Kurt, Ca- these younger guys probably don't. But Kurt Cameron was a big actor when I was young. You know, he was. But so he would go around and they would start asking these people, you know, uh, if if they were like if they were going to heaven, and every, just about everybody would be like, yeah, I'm going to heaven, you know. And then he'd be like, well, have you ever lied? You know, and you you could see people, and the the wheels were turning. They're like, I know where this is going. This is not going to be a good spot for me because, yeah, we have. You know, have you ever stolen? Have you uh, if you start looking at the Ten Commandments, it's really hard to get from one to ten being innocent, right? We can't do it. We can't get from one to ten without being innocent. And so, you, you could see those people as they would start realizing, oh, I'm kind of in trouble here if if he, you know, if I say yes to any of these. But we all say yes to some of those. We don't measure up. So there was this movie that I, and my, I didn't tell my wife I was going to say this, and she'll she'll think this is funny. But there was this uh, movie that we used to watch, and this guy they, they were they were having this jousting tournament, and when the guy got got knocked off, he he he, he would say, "You've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting." And I, that's what I thought about when I when I, you didn't know I was going to quote that movie, did you? But uh, but we've been found wanting. I mean. We don't have it in us. And you can be so good. You can be really good. You can be better than everybody else in here. But you're not good enough. You're not good enough. We don't have it in us. So let's look at another thing. Well, well, what justifies us then? So we see from this that we need justification. We need this righteousness, but we can't do it, right? So what does justify us? Well, let's go back and read. And the tax collector standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, who was a tax collector? So, we we looked at who a Pharisee was earlier, you know, and they kind of had this certain stigma about them as they were growing up, and they, you know, everybody looked on them a certain way, well, well, who was a tax collector? If you've, if you've done any research, or if you've watched shows—matter um, of fact, if you've ever watched *The Chosen*, it's fantastic, and it kind of points a tax collector, uh, Matthew, there in a certain light. But people hated him. They hated him because they looked at him as traitors. These tax collectors. So, if you got to think about it, you know, a lot of us hear about Alexander the Great, you know, and how this Roman Empire grew and everything. Well, this is during that time where the Roman Empire had taken over, right? So these Jewish people, they were subject to the Romans. And these tax collectors, what they were is the Romans kind of set them in place and they they told them, look, we need so much money from these people every year as taxes. But what they didn't tell them is you can't charge any extra. So these tax collectors, it didn't take long for them to start figuring out, you know, if everybody owes $5, I'm going to charge 6 $6, $6, you know, $1 a piece from everybody ends up adding up to be a lot of money. And so they were thought of as corrupt. They were thought of as as traitors because they kind of turned their back on their own people and they were working for the people that take that took them over and they were and and so really the main word I would use to describe what people thought about them was greedy. That that's what they thought about. So Jesus used this example on purpose. Because he's taken somebody people looked at as righteous and shown where they're not necessarily righteous, and then he took somebody where the people looked at with disdain and contempt, and said, "Look, they they they, they may have this job, but they can be righteous if they're doing what I'm saying they should do." You know. Um, this tax collector thought of himself as unworthy. Um, do we think of ourselves as unworthy? And Look, that, that's a question for everybody to ask themselves. But I really worry if I ever get to the point where I look at my life and myself and who I am and not think of myself as unworthy before God. Um, I did a little research on this. This obviously, if if you, I know nobody in here knows me, but uh, I'm not a Greek scholar. I want to let you know ahead of time. But I did do a little research, okay? The Greek word here for be merciful when he said that is from this root word, hilastheti. And you can tell by my pronunciation that I'm not a Greek scholar. But it's the same root word for the mercy seat. So when he talks about mercy here, it's that same root word where you go all the way back to the Ark of the Covenant talking about that mercy seat. Um, It represented God's law right there, right? So it represented His holiness. Sometimes that's hard for people to understand God's the only one that has holiness. We can't, we don't have that in us. And and realizing that, you know, we were created beings by Him, but but we don't have that. We don't have that in us. But we need it. And so He's the only way to get there, right? So once a year, uh, and I had heard this word forever. Have y'all have y'all ever heard of the the uh, the? It's a Jewish word, Yom Kippur. This is the Day of Atonement, is what it is for them, right? Um, the high priest would sprinkle blood you know on this mercy seat and it would it would cover up the sins of the people and that's what god had required all that but this was never meant to be the answer long term anyway jesus was always going to come you know if you read the old testament and you look at it and you're like well you know things went you know and the the israelites would do good and then they do bad and they do good and they do bad you know and god had to send jesus in to fix everything that's, that's not how it worked. If you read the Old Testament, Jesus is in there all over the place. He was always going to come, right? If you look at Romans 3:23 through 25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most people know that verse. That's it. Romans 3:23. That's a good one. But, but the next two are really important: being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. So, where it says by His blood, right there, that means Jesus's blood. So, this, this animal blood that they were doing in the Old Testament was temporary, but Jesus's blood is not temporary. Right? Once you're covered, you're covered. That's where, you know, a lot of people talk about once saved, always saved. That, that's why, because if Jesus's blood wasn't good enough, then, then you might can look. But, but he did it right, you know. If if you say that, then you're saying that his blood wasn't good enough, right? So right there where it says, you know, in verse 25, whom God set forth, that's important. Because Jesus did come here whom God set forth, right? God's the one that we have to be justified before, okay? And he's the one that sent Jesus, okay? He fixed it the right way when he sent Jesus. We're completely justified before God through Jesus. That just looking at this and, and trying to, you know, wrap our mind around well, how how you know, how does this work out and how can the thing is, God God's the one that set this up. God's the one that made the rules. God's the one that said we needed to be justified. And then God sent the way to be justified. So it's perfect. It's just right. It's just what's needed, right? Second Corinthians five twenty one, for he made him Who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Our identity, so how we see ourselves, you know, and and I talked about this earlier about how sometimes we might look at ourselves and then kind of look down on the ones around us. But the way we view ourselves, have you ever noticed, by the way, when you do that, you don't pick out the best people around you. You pick out the ones like, well, I know I'm better than him. You know, let me pull him over here and. You know, you start picking and choosing and you know, and then you surround yourself with people that you really think you've got beat. But God's not looking for that, right? Our identity, how we see ourselves, has to realize our lack. Just the area that we don't have to measure up to what God has told us to be. I heard this, so this is not my original thought, but I thought this was a really neat way to look at it. If we're an athlete, so For me, I know it doesn't look like it, but at one time I I called myself an athlete. So if we're an athlete, and you can pick whatever sport you want to, but say you were a long jumper, okay? Say you were world famous, and you spent all this time training, and you you got really, really good, and then you you got all this, you know, you, you you were training all the time, you were strength training, your diet was right, you were talking to all these experts about what can I do better and all these things. You even went to altitude so the air would be thin so you could jump farther, right? You can do all these things. But what if what you have to do is jump to the moon? You don't have it in you to jump to the moon. You can try really hard, but you can't get there. That's what it is when we look at who we are compared to who God says we have to be. We can't get there. So when you look at that, you're like, well that sounds kind of sad but there's a really good news at the end of this story right Jesus made that way for us we have to see you know you you can't jump to the moon you can't get there there's nothing you can do you don't have it in you what you have to offer is filthy rags but Jesus fills that whole gap in between there right and so the last point i' I'm, I'm closing with this y'all didn't tell me how long I didn't know I just assumed when everybody's stomach started growling y'all would kind of flag me down but I know there's probably food in the back but Um, So the the last thing, how do we see ourselves? We aren't better than anyone else in any way that counts. So we may have a bigger house. We may have, you know, whatever. We may have better clothes. We may have, you know, we're not better than anyone else in any way that counts. We don't have it, right? Only by Jesus are we good. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you didn't receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? You know, we can look at ourselves and be like, well, I'm smarter than these people. Well, how did you get smarter? You know, who gave you your brain? And you can look at yourself and, and, and you know, you, you may be, you know, better at doing a certain thing or, you know, well, how did you get that? I mean, we don't have anything to brag about. If, if we do better in school than somebody, it's because God allowed us to do that. If we can hit a ball farther than somebody, it's because God gave us the ability to do that. Everything in life happens because of God allowing it, right? It wasn't us, and it never will be. So there was a, there's a, a thing that I, I talked to some of the guys about at our church. God can see you as worthy even if you don't see yourself as worthy, Right? A lot of times we look at ourselves and we're not looking down on everybody else. We're, we're saying, looking at ourselves and, and thinking, I, I know what I've done. I know I'm not worthy. You're right, but God can still see you as worthy. That's something we have to look at because Jesus made that way for us, right? It's because he doesn't see us at that point. He sees Jesus covering us. That's the whole point of Jesus, right? If I choose to see myself as better than others or more worthy, this message hits home for me, right? So, if this is something, you know, look, I didn't I'm gonna be honest, I didn't I didn't want to preach this message today. I didn't want to look into this. I didn't want to do the study and, and and feel how bad I felt looking at it and thinking about how I look at myself as righteous sometimes to those around me. But the good news is God's the fix for that, too. We we have to look at ourselves and say, you know, if if we don't know Jesus, that's the fix for everything, right? He fixes everything. But if we're in here and we do know Jesus and we look at ourselves and our life and think, I, I do that. That's what I do. I look around me, you know, he's the fix for that, too. Who makes you different from another? Jesus is the one that made us all, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Thank you for passages like this that step on our toes sometimes. Thank you because it's true, Lord. Thank you that you never change. That your word is true today just like it was 2000 years ago. Help us to put this in our lives, Lord. What the way we look at ourselves, how we value ourselves, Lord, and how you value us. Help us to look at ourselves the way you look at us, Lord. Help us to not look down on others or anybody around us, but to see ourselves as a sinner, unworthy of your love. Thank you today, Lord, that you love us. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.